Good morning. My name is Benjamin Pinkerton. I uh, run Club 56 right over here. You can hear them yelling sometimes, as well as youth, which is seventh grade through seniors. So a little bit different audience, but I'm really excited to be here this morning. Uh, More importantly, though, I also have a beautiful wife right there, and those are our two dogs. She is right now a leader in Club 56 and in youth, so if you can meet one of us, make sure to meet her because she's the better half. So that's Kara, so Benjamin and Kara Pinkerton. Today I'll be going through Philippians 2, 1 through 11, so y'all can start turning there now. The letter of Philippians was written by Paul to the church in Philippi, and on his second missionary journey, Paul had this dream, and so he traveled out, and he went, and he evangelized the first city in Europe, which was Philippi. And when he got there to this city, he realized that there was not enough men practicing Judaism to actually have a Jewish synagogue, so he had to go and travel and try and find a Jewish meeting place, where he met this lady named Lydia, who was selling purple. And then as him, Silas, and and, uh, Timothy are traveling, there's this demon-possessed girl who's really bothering him, so he exercised the demon out of her, which makes the slave owners of this girl mad because they have now lost profit because she has been prophesying and they've been gaining from that. So they get thrown in prison after being beaten, uh, but when they find out, oh, the Roman citizens, we're not supposed to have beaten them without a trial, they're embarrassed, they let him out. But in the meantime, of course, Paul uh, talks to the, the jailer, and that guy becomes a convert, and his whole family becomes saved as well. So you even see at the beginning of this church in Philippi, the first person is this wealthy lady selling pur- purple named Lydia. You see a demon-possessed, but now not a demon-possessed girl who's a slave. And then lastly, you see a Roman guard who is guarding the prison. So very eclectic group to start a church here in Philippi. And so Paul is writing this 11 years later, And if you've ever read through Philippians, there's a lot of cool themes through the book, through the letter. And in that letter, he's exhorting the people constantly to be joyful, right? And it's all centralized around Jesus. And so he says to focus on Jesus, to have the mind of Jesus, to have the knowledge of Jesus, and lastly, to have the peace that surpasses all understanding because of Jesus. And so he's going to focus on Jesus throughout this whole letter. And today in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, many of us have probably heard this passage. Um, And so talking about Jesus' humility, coming down, God-man, coming down and giving it all for us, right? And so I love that we just talked through or we just worshiped to God saying, Jesus, you paid it all. You are the cornerstone of our faith. You are worth it. And so I surrender everything, everything to you because you have already given up everything for us, right? Through your love. And so... We're going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It'll be on the screen. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray again. Father, I just know that you have a message for us. Every single one of us in here needs to understand what you have done for us, God, so that we can walk in freedom. God, that we can understand the love that you have poured out for us. And so, Father, I just pray that in this time that you will use my words and you will you speak to us exactly where we are at, Father. God, I just pray that we will understand what you have done and that through your Spirit, we can also love people and walk in humility as Christ did so that we can be the example of Christ to those around us. Father, speak to us now. We need you. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so I just started doing CrossFit. I don't know if y'all know what CrossFit is, but it's, it's a workout regime, this kind of mentality of, okay, go really hardcore for a very short amount of time and really get your cardio, but also get your muscles going, right? So in high school, I was a gymnast and I competed at a pretty high level. I competed for Team Texas, national level. Then when I went into the core at A&M, my physical fitness changed to that of I became a runner because I'm running all the time with all these cadets that are going to the military. And then right after that, I decided, you know, I, I got to keep working out. So I went and I started working out at a local gym where I'd go three, four times a week. And I was like, man, I love physical fitness. I love how it just, it wakes me up in the morning. It keeps me going, right? And I'd heard about this CrossFit idea. People had told me it, but honestly, if, if y'all know anything, I was a little bit skeptic about it. I was a skeptic because most of the people that did CrossFit always talked about how they did CrossFit. And it really kind of turned me off towards it. I was like, all right, I know you do CrossFit. That's wonderful. And they, they were literally branding an advertisement all the time, CrossFit, CrossFit athlete, CrossFit everything. And I'm like, all right. But they had a free week. And there's a couple of people that I'm close with that go. So I'm like, all right, I'll go, I'll go check this out. I'll go check out this CrossFit gym. So I go in. It's a free week. Bring a friend. I go in. And in one workout, it was probably the hardest workout I'd ever done up to that point, right? And I was like, man, that was extremely difficult because it worked things that I was not used to working going to just a gym every day, right? And I was dead. But the thing that really sold me on CrossFit, the mark of a true CrossFitter, as I looked at the coaches, was that they didn't just tell you to do CrossFit and coach you. But you'd look at them and you'd be like, that is a physical specimen. Like, that person right there has definitely got it going on. Like, I want whatever you're selling because you've bought into it, right? And they were physically fit. And the crazy thing is that they weren't just, they weren't just super strong, which in weightlifting, I saw guys all the time that were extremely muscular. But then in the core, I saw guys that could run forever and never get tired. So I had seen this kind of balance of these guys that can run a long time, but they couldn't really lift very much weights. Or... They could do a lot of weights, but if you try and make them run in between those sets of benching, like, it's, it's going to be bad, right? But in CrossFit, I saw this balance of, man, super strong, but their cardio was excellent. So that was the mark of a true CrossFit for me. So it sold it, and that's why I do CrossFit now. But then it started to make me think, what is the mark of a true Christian believer? Right? What is the mark? Is it, is it how well we do worship and we know when to raise our hands whenever the emotion calls for it? Or is it whenever we're reading the Bible and we, we have quiet times every day? Or I go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and I'm involved in the choir and I do all these different things, you know? And I said to myself, what is the mark? But Jesus actually tells us 
And this is directly after he washed the feet of his disciples. The very next day, John 13, 35, he turns to his disciples and he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Right? Not how much knowledge you have. Not your church attendance. Not how well you speak eloquently in prayers. Right? It was simply by how you love one another. And I love that today in Philippians 2, it's a wonderful next message right after Chris Thompson last week talked about community. How we truly need one another. We need each other to continue going on the straight and narrow. To sharpen one another. To focus on Christ. To encourage one another in this body. And in this message today, the very beginning, the mark of a true Christian is going to be based on the unity, the community that you have, how well you love one another. True spirituality is shown in Christian community. What is enticing to me about CrossFit is I looked at them and I saw, man, they had this great balance. Well, the mark of a Christian should be how well do they love and take care of one another? How well do they respect those around them? How well do they love? So we're going to break that down today. So Philippians 2, 1 through 2, when he starts off with, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that is not, Paul is wondering and questioning, perhaps there is some encouragement. No, no, this is, this is like him saying, since you have encouragement in Christ, because that would be crazy to say, since you have the, the love from Jesus, the love from God, the participation of a community around you in the Spirit, then I want you to then complete my joy. And Paul previously in this letter again was saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My life is so focused on Christ. It's all about Jesus. And if I die, I just get to be with my faithful lover. I just get to go and be with Jesus. And that's actually far better. But I, am going, I, I, I think I'm going to stay here because it's more beneficial for you. Because this community is so impacting that I'm going to be around so I can be with you. Right? And so Philippians 2, when he says that, he says, complete my joy. He's in prison. And he's writing to him, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right? And being of the same mind does not mean, okay, we're all robots and we're going the same path and everyone has the exact same ideas. No, it means the same common purpose, the same goal. As a team, we're moving together on the same page. Right? And so being in full accord and of one mind, the number one thing he says, complete my joy, is by y'all getting along. By y'all loving one another. True spirituality is shown in the Christian community. Right? The second thing is, well, how do I get this community? Right? How do I get this community that is supposed to be so marked by love for one another that people are going to say, you know what? That, there's something different about those people because of how they love one another. You're like, okay, well, I, you can tell me to love one another, but how, how is that truly played out, right? And so I would argue and say that community, true community, the perfect community requires humility. We all know this. We all know this. In marriage, you cannot be prideful and want your own way and think it's going to work out, right? My example, sports analogies, Golden State Warriors. I don't know if anybody watches the NBA, but the Golden State Warriors this year 
are on this record-setting pace where they perhaps will beat the Chicago Bulls 1995-96 record of 72 wins in the regular season. Right now, their record is 63-7. and They actually lost last night to the San Antonio Spurs, but, yeah, but, but they're on record pace. And what marks the, the Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs as such a wonderful and awesome team is that they truly are a team. There's not this individual. Yes, we know of Steph Curry and how great he is on the St- Golden State Warriors, but if you watch their games, just as we're watching March Madness and we see which teams are successful, it's how well do they share the ball? How well do they pass? How do they find that open man? And in the Golden State Warriors... They're so selfless and they know their roles that last year, the MVP of the regular season, Steph Curry, was not even the MVP of the championship game. A guy that came off the bench was because he knew his role and he didn't have to go to another team to get paid more. He said, I know my role and I'm working with the team. And so we know that community requires humility. We know that in marriage we see that in our kids, in Club 56, and in youth. I see it all the time. I'm like, you, you can't just expect to always get your own way and for you to still be close with the people around you. You are isolating yourself, right? And so when we look in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, he immediately says the way to have this community, this unity, this one mind is to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We'll just break that down. Selfish ambition actually means a working, working for hire or a hireling, also known as a mercenary, right? So we know what a mercenary is or a merc. In a battle or in a war, you'll have these mercs and they'll fight your battle and they'll fight your war and they'll be alongside you and do all of that. But they're not fighting for your cause. They're just fighting for their own gain. They're fighting for the monetary gain or the influence for the power position, Right? And that's what a merc does, and that's what he says when he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. And yet we can do that all the time. The things that we get involved with, are we really sold out for the cause? Are we really doing it because we're so a part of the team and we want the victory of the team and the purpose and the common goal? When we join the Bible study, or we get involved in the church, is it so people can see us, give us glory, and say, man, like, they've got it going on. That's a leader. The things that we get involved in, Is it, again, are we for the cause? Are we actually for, I want to be about Jesus. And I want my life to be reflected in my relationship with Jesus. That in my being an ambassador for Christ, people see, man, that person is marked by the love that they have for one another. Or is it simply, man, again, I'm a mercenary and I'm just going out for my own game. And in conceit is a combination of two words. Empty or vain glory. So do nothing by being a mercenary or in this empty glory or this vain glory. So conceit would be like this. I come up to preach on stage and my goal is for to walk out and for y'all to say, man, that Benjamin Pinkerton, very well put together young man. He's got it going on, right? He looks like he's doing pretty good for himself, you know? And I walk out and you're like, man, you know what I remembered about your sermon? It was, it was funny. I just really enjoyed the, the, the humor. And that was what was retained from the sermon is that you think of me as a funny person or you think of me as a person that has it well put together. If that is the case, then what I did, if that was my purpose behind coming up on the stage, then what I did was I not only wasted your time, but I dishonored God. My goal was not for you to come in and to understand a little bit better how much Christ loves you. 
and a little bit more understanding of the fellowship you have with believers and the peace that transcends all understanding because you know God, you know what he's done for you, and you get to walk out that freedom in life without the restrictions of having to prove yourself and chase these things that are just idols that will fall through. But instead you walk out and say, I know who God is and I know he loves me. If that is not my goal, then what I did is I came on stage in conceit. Conceitfully, I, I, I wanted you to think of me better, but the reality is that your glory that you give to me is empty glory, right? It's empty glory. The only glory that I have is by my identity that is found in someone more great than I am, right? And so that is my image of God. I am made in the image and the likeness of God, right? And then it goes on to say, but in humility. So the exact opposite way of this selfish ambition of living life trying to go after your own cause or conceit, I want people to give me glory and to put me on a pedestal, is humility, counting others more significant than yourself. Right, humility, C.S. Lewis has lots of quotes from it in Mere Christianity, but he says, to not think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Humility is to know your proper place. And honestly, a lot of times in the Christian community, how we display humility, which is actually a false humility, is we talk about how we're nothing, how we're just, uh, don't think of me at all. When I get on stage, don't think of me. It's not me talking. It's all God. Don't even, don't even give me, no, don't even encourage me. No, I am, I am a lowly, lowly sinner, right? And you talk about how you want to be humble, or you talk about yourself in a way that I want people to realize how humble that guy is, right? Which you're still talking about yourself, right? But in humility is instead saying, man, I know my proper place, which is a creature before the creator made in his likeness to do things that are awesome and powerful and wonderful for his glory, for his purposes, right? So humility is a proper understanding oneself. And then it goes on to say, but let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I think that's pretty funny. I think it's pretty awesome that he doesn't just say, only think of the interests of others. Because you've got to take care of yourself too. To be efficient, to be effective, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to wear clothes, and you've got to eat food. You've got to do these things. But the reality is when you look around, you enter the room, is it, man, I want people to notice me. And I want people to understand how great I am. Right? Or is it, man, I want other people to be built up. I want to really and truly know the people around me. Right? Maybe get out of my comfort zone, but I truly want to get to know other people. It's not about me. It's not about myself. And so I'm going to look to others. And so you're not viewing them in the estimation of them, but you're saying that their needs and their concerns are greater than my needs and my concerns. Right? And so we all want to be humble people. Honestly, we don't like people that are like, that's obviously a very prideful, selfish person. Person, I don't know. You might know who Kanye West is, but he sings songs all the time that are like, like calling himself Jesus and God. And like, he's got a song that's literally called Amazing. And it's just, I'm amazing. And it says it like 47 times. I'm amazing, so amazing, yes, amazing, I'm amazing. Like, you just get done, you're like, I don't like this person. Like, what is this? This is crazy. Like, you cannot just talk about yourself nonstop and think that people are like, oh, this is great. Like, no, we understand that humility is something we want, but the reality is a lot of times we don't really know how to be humble. And actually the problem is the more we think about humility, 
is a lot of times the problem with humility. A humble person doesn't get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be humble, right? I'm going to work on my humility today and just say it like that, right? And so I don't know if any of you played the game Sims. I played the game Sims growing up a lot. It's like a computer game where you can like control people and make them run around and like live lives. And I was just so excited. I'd send my kids off to college and be like, oh, and I can get a job, right? And I can build appliances and learn skills and go on vacations. I love that I could control these little people, right? But the funny thing that I always realized about this game is if I didn't tell them what to do, how quickly chaos ensued. I would leave them alone and just say, okay, what are my Sims going to do without me telling them every step? And they would pretty quickly burn the house down. It was like, I'm going to jump in the shower after like doing like cooking and shower for three hours and the house burns down and they die. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I have to tell them every single step, right? And just as me standing in front of that computer screen and yelling at the people, hey, get your life together, figure it out, right? That would not work. Just as if I'm over an ant pile yelling at ants not to bother me, ants do this and do that and do this, there's no effect, right? And the only way growing up, I, I thought about this, growing up playing Sims, I was like, what are my Sims thinking? I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, man, I wish I could have a relationship with these, these characters I made, right? And so I thought the only way that these Sims could know how to live life And how to do it well without me telling them every step is for me to jump into the computer screen and live life with my sims, right? And then I could model for them the example. This is how you do life effectively where you don't burn the house down, where you actually get good grades in college and and do these other successful things I thought were super cool growing up, like going on vacations every weekend. Not reality, right? But I thought to myself, yeah, I want to show them this. But the only way I could do that is if I inserted myself into their lives, into the narrative of the Sims, and show them that example. And just as Hamlet cannot have a relationship with Shakespeare unless Shakespeare wrote himself into the narrative, into Hamlet's story, and then he could have a relationship with Shakespeare, that's what God did for us. He saw us in our brokenness, and he says the only way that these people can have a relationship with me and to know me is if I insert myself into their narrative that I've created for them. So yelling at people to be humble does not work. On the other hand, what does work, see if this is, is number three, Christ is our ultimate humility. Right? Christ is our example. And the challenge is this, we want community. And Paul's letter flows like this. He says, man, you're facing, perse- or you're facing these struggles and you need to persevere. And the only way to stand strong is to have community. And the only way to have community is to be humble. And the only way to be humble is to have unity. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it does. You need to have unity in Christ to be humble. You need to know what Christ has done for you. And through his power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can then be humble to bring community, to stand fast in the face of persecution. Right? And so when Christ embedded himself into our narrative, we see it immediately off the bat. Paul goes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind, have this attitude. Right? You want to be humble. We know it's important. 
We know it's good. The only way for the world around us to see these people and there's something different is how we love one another and how we do community is to be humble. Well, then the only way to get that, church, is by having the mind, the attitude of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this is a very debated Confusing passage at times. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that is simply saying, the form of God means it is pointing to his pre-existence. The pre-incarnate, pre-existent Christ had a story before he became a baby. And that was God. And it's actually saying that he has all the essential qualities of deity, of God. He is God. And yet he inserted himself into humanity And when he got here, he did not consider or he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what grasped simply means is it's not something that he doesn't have and he's trying to reach for. It's saying the things he already has completely, he doesn't assert. He doesn't assert his rights for his own personal gain. And so in that, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Right? I don't know if that is stuck with us, But the more and more we walk through our lives and the more and more we know of the Bible and the more and more we know of God's love for us and what he's done for us in humility, counting us more significant than himself, Jesus, who was God, counted us, our needs, our desires, more important than his own. He came down and put on man flesh, right? And so God and man, 100% both, comes down unto the human narrative. And what does he do? He empties himself, right? He empties himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, the idea is Jesus comes down into the narrative and says, I will not assert the rights, the privileges, and the abilities that I have, because he's God. He has all power. He created all things. He was in the heavens being worshipped by angels. And he says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to live life as a human being. And I don't know if we understand that sometimes. We don't understand what Jesus went through just in being a human being. Not even going to crucifixion. The man walked a lot. He walked a ton and and he worked. It's estimated that he walked 18,000 miles before he turned 30. Because of how many trips he had to travel to Jerusalem from Nazareth. He walked a lot and he was a carpenter. He worked. He had to do everything in limitations that we had to do. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He faced persecution. He faced struggle. He probably had a lot of problems with his siblings. I know I would have, if my brother was Jesus, I would have not been okay with that, probably. Like, what in the world? Jesus is so good. Why don't you be like Jesus? Come on. Like, that's ridiculous. But anyway, you know, like, can you imagine the life? We don't even think about the life before his public ministry. It was probably pretty difficult and felt very alone at times. He's God. He's Jesus, Right? And he lays down those rights so that he can take on the flesh and be completely um, the same in likeness of a human being, right? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Just the picture of Jesus descending, the ultimate descension of God becoming a man But not just a man, a servant. But then in that servant, in obedience, he dies. 
But he doesn't just die, he dies on the cross, right? So he went from here to here. There is no level that we can say of how great that dissension was, right? And I love the phrase that the love you have for something is going to be marked by the level of sacrifice you're willing to pay for it, right? And a lot of times in our life, we can measure how much we desire something or want something or find, um, find success in based on how much we're willing to pay for it. And Jesus shows in this ultimate moment, he says, you know, the love that I have for them, to have a relationship with these people was so great that I'm willing to sacrifice everything. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we're really willing to sacrifice, but it's typically to sacrifice to the point of inconvenience. Right? Man, I, I'll be involved in a Bible study, but if you ask me to, that spends my Friday night doing a Bible study, well, okay, that's a little crazy, God. I'll give you my Sundays, and I'll give you my Wednesday nights, or my Thursday nights. I'll give you this time and service, but when it starts to conflict with some of the things I really care about, all right, well, I mean, God, I'm giving you enough. And again, this moment of humility is God says, you know what? I count them more significant than myself. In Jesus, he paid it all. He paid it all for us. And so I just, to understand the cross is to understand the sacrifice. And to understand the sacrifice shows us the love that God has for us. And so when we try and find significance or security, we just talked all through Ecclesiastes about all the idols that we can pursue in this life. There's so many money and fame and glory and power and relationships. We can seek our own and we want all these things for ourselves and we want people to see us as this great person. right? And yet Jesus in this moment was willing to be looked down on on the cross. And so you've seen the passion of the Christ. You've seen these other depictions of Jesus being sacrificed. But, but none of them paint the picture vividly enough of how graphic and how terrible it was. The cross in the Roman society was such a taboo word that they didn't even want to say crux. They wanted to say hung on the unlucky tree. They said that is so bad that I won't even use the word. And the cross was the most humiliating death too. Not only was it the most painful, it was the most humiliating. And again, Jesus said, you know what? That is worth it for my people. That is worth it for you. Right? I want a relationship with them. And I want them to experience my love. And so the reality of Jesus putting on flesh, being a servant, looking for the needs of others, constantly, selflessly giving all of himself, getting on the cross and bleeding out. Right? He created all things through Jesus. Nothing was made that is not made. Right? Everything is created by him and through him and for him. And yet Jesus in that moment says, all right, I will go and die on this cross and I will bleed out for these people. I will count them more significant than, than myself. Right? And it's, it is this moment of, oh my gosh, like if Jesus is willing to do that for me and the significance and worth that is placed on God is so much greater than anything here on earth and that sacrifice was for me, that's when you start to look at your life and say, okay, in recognition of that, in recognition of what's been given for me, your heart starts to change. To where you don't have to think, I gotta work to be humble today. I, I'm gonna tell you all the different ways you can be humble, Right? But the reality is that Christ gave us that example. Christ is our humility. 
And so it makes me think of the story of Frozen. I don't know if all of you have seen Frozen, right? But it's this picture in Disney of this girl whose parents put all these rules on her. And at the end, she breaks off these shackles of oppression by her parents, the laws and regulations and rules. And she goes off into this magical kingdom, this castle she builds for herself. And she sings a song, Let It Go. Right? And we've probably heard that song too many times. Let it go. But if you think about that song and what it's singing, it's saying, let it go. No one can bother me anymore. I am all free. I'm free to be self-absorbed and only to care about myself. And you find her in a castle alone, which is cold. And what did it take to get Elsa out of the castle? It took Anna to travel to the castle and willing to risk it all to the point of death. Right? She was willing to risk it all to save someone that she knew was lost, isolated, and cold. And she was willing to pay that price to bring her back in. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus sees us in our brokenness. He sees our struggles and our pain. And he came into our narrative. He gave us that example and he paid it all. And unlike Anna, who didn't die at the end, but lived, it was a happy ending, Jesus died the death that we deserved. But then he rose again in victory. And so we see that in the next verse. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See what God says, he looks down and he sees Jesus and he says, that is what I want. Selfless sacrifice, humility and love for the people around you, looking for their interests and not your own. And what does he do? He exalts Jesus up for the very humiliation that he just went through. Because Jesus paid it all, he was exalted above all names. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, everyone in the end times will say, you know what? He is king and there's nothing we can say about it now. He's God. He is Lord. Jesus is God. Because of the sacrifice he went through, he was exalted. And it's cool, what is cool about that is that the same pathway is for us too. That God is looking for men and women to love people, right? To be humble, to look out for the interests of others, to pay sacrifice for those around you. And a lot of times we're so self-absorbed that even in our wanting to be humble, it's not to be humble, it's for our own good. And again, that's the moment of, man, Christ paid it all. And I get to know Christ. And through that relationship, I get to make an eternal, significant impact. I can have the security of knowing where I will be. I can be significant because I am significant, because I am made in the image of God. And so all the things that we pursue become less important. It's not about my own gain anymore. It's not about how people think of me or look at me. But it becomes a, I truly want to build others up. I truly want to know those around me, right? And so I just love that picture. So the application, in view of Christ's example, how can you look to the interests of others, right? In in view of Christ's example, this is not a moment of how can you be better? How can you work harder to be humble so people can recognize how humble you are? 
And then you point that to God somehow, but you really did it for yourself. No, it's in view of Christ. You are in Christ. You have the unity in Christ. So now you can be humble in a manner that brings true community, which is the mark of a Christian. True spirituality is seen in the Christian community. How can you look to the interests of others? This is something I was thinking through. For me, one of the, a, a, two of the most humble people I know, one my wife and two my grandfather. And the thing that, that completely blows me away about both of them is how little they talk. <laughs> At least that's what I think. When I'm sitting in a conversation with them, it's constantly asking questions about me. And I can get to the end of a conversation and be like, did you talk at all? Right? And you walk away and you're like, man, that person cares about me because they didn't talk about themselves. And so in recognition of that, I like to kind of look at my week or even my day and say, man, what is the percentage of time that I spend talking in the conversation? That's just an easy one for me. I can, I can actually evaluate that at the end of the day and be like, man, obviously if I talk so much, or I talk about myself so much, my heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Obviously, I'm trying to gain significance in how people view me. That's what it means. Because I wouldn't talk so much, I would listen more. I would try and understand those around me. I would try and do life with them. I would try and get in the dirt in their pain and struggles, rather than trying to keep myself clean from the struggle. The level of love I have for something is going to be how much I'm willing to sacrifice for it. And I'm only, if I, I want to sacrifice more and more for those around me and less about myself. And the second application is this. Where in your life are you grasping for significance or security rather than resting in Christ? In view of knowing what God has done and the value he has placed on you in making you his image and then the level of sacrifice he was willing to go for you, in view of that, what on earth, literally what on earth, is more significant, will bring more security, will give you more meaning. One of the main reasons I became a Christian when I was young was because I literally thought life was pointless. There's no purpose. It's so repetitive. And not until I realized that God gives me eternal purpose and significance and that my life actually had meaning to the point I could make an eternal impact for the kingdom by simply walking out a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what sold me. That was like, oh, okay, there is significance in my life, and it's not meaningless, right? And so where in your life are you grasping for significance or security? Is it in the job? Well, I'm willing to sacrifice so much more for the job than I am for my family. And we can twist that and say I'm sacrificing for my family through my job. But the reality is just look and evaluate. What am I really finding significance and security in apart from God? Because he's already given it. And so, I just want us to leave it with that. As we go through this week, and we evaluate, we walk into the pl- our jobs, we walk into our schools, we walk into the different places that we find ourselves. Man, opening our eyes to the needs around us are great. And people need to know, truly desperately need to know how much they're loved. When they find that significance and the fact that God loves you, and that's more important than what you're chasing. And what you're chasing is actually going to run dry. You're going to be a man in the desert. When, they, when you realize that, you start to open your eyes more to the needs around you. Right? And so, I just want to leave us with that. I'm going to pray. 
And after this, I would love for y'all to spend some time again in this view of community and humility. We got some coffee set up in the back. We'd love for y'all to sit and talk with each other. Get to know each other a little more. I know the day is crazy and time is always flying by and we're always getting ready for the next thing. But what if we just rested in our community and we saw the needs around us as more important than what we see as more important? Like getting to lunch faster than other churches that get out early, right? That is one, right? It's like, I gotta go. But well, what if instead I counted the needs of the people around me and got to know them? Because... I know, for example, that my, I have family that they said the hardest thing about church to them is they visited three churches and they walked in and they walked out and they didn't feel connected to anyone. No one got to know them. No one called them back after they'd gone. And they felt alone. And it was a turnoff from church. And they decided to stop going. And it wasn't because the love of Christ wasn't good enough. It was the people did not show that they loved them and cared about them. And so why don't we as a church in this moment, we're going to spend just drinking coffee and talking with each other as the second service kind of starts to come in. All right, so let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for Christ, (laughs) that we are in Christ, that we have eternal significance, eternal security, and we have eternal purpose here on earth. And God, I pray that that is what we walk away with, the encouragement from Christ, the comfort from love of the Father, and the participation of the Spirit, that we are a community of believers that are seeking you. So God, just help us to be people that are marked by the love we have for one another. And God, we can't just work harder at it. But God, it's a mind change, it's an attitude, it's a heart change that comes from understanding the grace and the love that you have poured out on us. And I just thank you for this body that we have here in this room right now. I thank you for how you use us individually and specifically for your purposes. God, and I thank you so much for the relationships that have been built already and will continue to build. That we can sharpen one another and point each other to you to keep our eyes on Christ, to find the peace that surpasses all understanding, God. Father, we love you so much and we truly pray that we walk away from this message changed. We walk away understanding more of the love that you have for us. And that will change everything about what we do and who we are. Don't let it be a moment where we just move on to the next thing. But we invest in the lives of one another. God, we pray these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, guys. So yeah, coffee in the back. Love for y'all to sit and chat. Thanks for coming today. Y'all have a wonderful week.